Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Got it back, seven on the shot clock in the corner. Loner trying to drive on Brock Cunningham, trying to body up against the three to shoot. Puts it up, threw up an air ball. Brock defended it well, rebound. Dylan to Sue. Here's Jabari Rice into the front court for Texas. Now for the cutting, Allen off the glass. Got the bucket, he won. Orton to Hunter. Into the front court, Tyrese. Top of the arc, angles left side on the dribble. Looking into the paint, still dribbling. Driving against traffic, off the glass, missed it. Tip up, slam. As DeSue kind of corralled it in his right hand and then slammed it down. Out to Tyrese Hunter, top of the arc. To Marcus Carr, six to shoot. Carr. Against Bridges, down to four, to three, trying to drive on him. He's got to waft it off the glass. Missed it. Follow. Tomahawk slam with a left hand from Dylan Mitchell. Outlet to Allen. Timmy to the trailing car. Fake the three. Shoots the three. Missed it badly, but Cunningham an offensive rebound. Now, Rice for three. That one is good. Tapari knocks it down. Texas back up nine. 51-42. Here's Hunter. To Rice. Bounce pass. Still on the suit. Back to Rice. Thinking three. Shooting three. Hitting three. Knocking down the three-pointer. Jabari Rice. His second of the second half. Carr with it. 7.05 to go. 13 on the shot clock. A trapped Timmy Allen. Got to do something with it. Got rid of it out to Hunter. Top of the arc for three. Good! Tyrese knocked it out. It looked like Allen was in jail. Got rid of it. The three-pointer puts Texas up eight. 62-54. Longhorns with it. Carr to the left corner. Rice, one dribble. Shoots a three. Hits the three. Big bucket. Third three of the second half for Sir Jamari Rice. Texas back up seven. 65-58. Into the front court. Carr on the left side with it. Rolls the dribble toward the top of the arc. Now to the right side. Steps around a screen. Picks it up. In some trouble. Cross-court pass. Hunter to Rice. Another three. Why not? Why not indeed? Jabari's fourth three in the second half. Texas back up seven. 68-61. Ten on the shot clock. 30 on the game clock. Marcus trying to drive on Cryer. Step back. 18-footer. Good! Carr, only a second field goal of the night. Texas up three, 27 seconds remaining. 74-71, Flagler, step back, long, long three, missed it, rebound. Texas has it, that's going to do it. Jabari Rice has it, Baylor will foul. The Longhorns will take the first of the series for the Bears this year. Texas is 7-2 at the halfway point in conference play. Hot night, cold morning, icy roads. Hope you're doing all right. Good morning, and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn. Is that a flex beat still rolling in? Get a little flex beat working there. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, and AM. 1260. We're live, local, and streaming on the Horn app and at hornetfm.com. And we are safe and sound, if uh, not just this side of a little shaking on our drive coming in. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us this morning. Hope you're being careful if you do have to go out. I lend my voice to those uh, multitudes are saying if you don't have to be out, don't be out. Say that. My wife is making the run over to H-E-B because, you know, when you got a H-E-B, you got a H-E-B, so she's over there. But I um, uh, hope you're doing all right. Happy as always to be joined by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, where it's pretty icy this morning, a proud graduate of Florence High School, where it's closed today, 
and a current resident of Hayes County where it's icy and schools are closed as well. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. How I'm, not, I'm not going to BS the listening audience. Uh, the only flyover I was forced to take was the 360 flyover from Ben White. And, uh, yeah, my sphincter was puckered something fierce. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, it's a it's a sphincter puckering kind of morning, uh, meteorologically speaking. Nevertheless, our producer, the esteemed Cameron Parker, he navigated it all. I would say rather rather easy. Now he did send me a text to say that it was sheer ice on uh, 360 going over B caves, and there is a wreck on the northbound side of that. But I was able to kind of slip and slide my way. So I mean, it was kind of slick for you coming in. Not too bad until I got to that bridge just mm-hmm. over B Caves. That was the first bit of ice that I encountered. Like, but yeah, a little. Well, I saw the there was a little accident going northbound. I was yep. like, eh, I better slow down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice job, uh, Cameron. Did there on the montage of the Longhorns win over the Baylor Bears. We'll get to that in a moment. Just again to uh, bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, the roads are kind of icy. Of course, I'm. I was coming down from Georgetown and southbound 35 was was really not bad, at least. There weren't wrecks, but people were going slow, and the roads are just a little bit slick. I almost had a thing, Jeff, coming out of my neighborhood in Berry Creek. There's a little bridge that goes over Berry Creek itself, over the creek, and I was going very slow because it was just through the residential part. It was like between 15, 20 miles an hour, but I fishtailed. I fishtailed left, right, and all that, just calmly worked the wheel in the opposite direction and got it back, and and uh, and pulled it back together, but I was like, okay, warning served, be ready. And then 35 itself wasn't, like I said, wasn't bad southbound and northbound. There were wrecks all over the place. There was one wreck where I saw a car, and you don't see this too often. You'll see overturned cars. You'll see smashed up cars and bashed up. I saw one car laying completely on its side, just laying on <sighs> its side. Uh, there on uh, northbound 35, about near the uh, the outlet uh, center there in Round Rock. So, uh, and then and then I you know I take 35 down to Breaker Lane and cut across Breaker as I make my way over toward 360, and you <laughs> get to the bridge for Breaker crossing Mopac. And we know there's been all kinds of issues. Our, our buddy Mike Hards had said that Mopac or, was closed in a lot of areas. There were some cars going down it, but I saw it. But there was a wreck on the bridge. Yeah. And so people uh, were just kind of snaking around the wreck. And I did as well to get over and made an illegal left turn to get on the service road to get down to 360. Because at that point, there are no rules. I mean, almost. You, you just got to be careful. Was like, there was nobody around, so I was able to flip it and go. Because you didn't want to stop then, because trying to accelerate, your wheels start to spin. So it was just kind of roll through it and go on down. And then be careful. And, it's like Nam on the road today. There are no rules. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a mess. It's a mess. So do be careful if you're out there. Obviously, it's not. I've realized, Craig, in these weather situations, if you yourself are careful, it's not you you have to worry about. It is the the inconsiderate sir or madam that passes you on the interstate doing about eighty five. Had a, had a couple of those. Had a couple. Had a pickup, an oversized pickup, doing at least seventy five. Zooming past me, and I was I was in the left lane at the time. Uh, I was only doing about fifty five, which normally would drive me nuts if somebody was doing. But I was moving faster than everybody else at doing fifty to fifty five. And then I saw that car, that truck coming up behind me, and I put on my signal. I'm going to move over and let him by, but he was having another. He just blew past your, me, changed lanes, and blew right past me. Is your blood pressure all right driving fifty five the whole way? Because I've been in the car with you before and, uh, on these kind of days. <laughs> Yes, yes, I'm I'm okay because they kind of understand what you're up against there. So be careful. You talk about the pucker factor. I, I drove Ooh. down a two lane North Carolina highway with Craig and Roger Wallace, where Craig's working the phone, taking us to eat seafood, and it was uh, it's US seventy. It's a US highway. <laughs> it was two lanes, Craig. Well, you knew where you were going. I didn't. That was the the rough part of it. That's that. the deal. I knew where I was going on that when I when trust you a hundred percent. Made that was, had great. You know, you're, you, Linda does that too. She'll say, "I trust you," and yet, you know, they'll be going on some things, and I look over, and she's got her eyes closed. You know, puts her in. <laughs> I thought you said you tr- I do, but I still am nervous. Okay, all right, I get it. So, anyway, we know the schools around the area are closed, and uh, so stay warm, stay dry, 
Uh, hopefully everything's all right. I said, uh, hot time last night at Moody Center if you were there for the Texas Baylor game, and uh, it was quite the matchup. Uh, and and uh, I said to John Morris, the play-by-play voice for Baylor, after I said. How about two more of these? Now I'm sure he thought it was two more Texas victories. No, and I'm and I said two more slam bang games between these two. Why not have a couple more? Do uh, one in Waco and then one in Kansas City at the Big Twelve tournament. That would be really cool if that were to happen. Two really entertaining, high energy, high octane, high intensity games like the one we had last night. That game. I've said this about a couple of games this year. Um, but that really was a game last night. It was like those teams showed up for a fight and a basketball game just happened to break out. I mean, that was yeah. about as as physical a 40-minute game in college basketball as you'll see anywhere in the country. And I asked Timmy Allen about it after the game, and Timmy said, he's like, I'm telling you, he's like, that's as hard as a game as I've played in since I've been here. Yeah, He said, Ben Baylor's the kind of team, they make you work for 40 minutes. They feel like they're never out of the fight. And there was one, I mean, I, I try to keep my composure when I'm sitting on press row, but there was a point in the second half, Flo Thamba set a screen that Marcus Carr tried to go through, and yeah. it was like Marcus slammed into a brick wall, and I just let out an audible, like, oh, God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, it lo- it, you, like, you felt it. And it was just that kind of night where elbows are getting thrown and the screens are a little harder. Uh, you know, you're you're fighting for rebounds. It's a little more, a little more ferocity when you're going up on the glass. Uh, but that was, you know, RT challenged this team after the Tennessee game uh, in terms of their toughness, and, and it's not the first time it's happened. You know, he did it after the after the K State game too mm-hmm. that they lost earlier this year. Challenge you, you know, your toughness. Uh, how hard are you willing to guard? And for the most part, they they were much better than they were in Tennessee. There were a couple of things, and I'll give Rodney Terry credit for this, Craig, and the staff credit for this. Their ability to go in at halftime and get things fixed and turn it around the second half has mm-hmm. been remarkable mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, uh, I sort of say not just last night, but other games as well. Yeah, like he talked about, you know, they wanted to limit Baylor to six made threes. Uh they had six at halftime, but only made two in the second half. What was Baylor shooting the three? Two for Baylor's two for eleven, shooting the three in the second half. Uh, he t- RT talked about turnovers. They had nine turnovers total. They had seven at halftime. So they only turned the ball over twice in the second half. Yeah. So the things they really focused on doing a quick video review at halftime, they were really good in both those categories that he wanted to get fixed at the break. So just really good coaching job. But I think the toughness Texas show. We've seen them play with toughness, but to do it against an opponent like that. That's that had won twelve of the previous thirteen in this series. Uh, I think that's the reason why you saw so much emotion mm-hmm. uh, at the at the final horn from everybody, Rodney Terry included, last night. Baylor hit four of its first five threes, and then hit four of its next twenty one to uh, to finish to finish it out. So, because weren't they eight for twenty six beyond the arc? Yeah, and uh, yeah. that that's probably the thing Scott Drew was most disappointed with. He said, you know, you figure you shoot 26 threes, you're going to make more than eight. He said, typically we will, but it just felt like Texas. Looked uh, like they would at the start. said he just felt like Texas, as the game went on, just did a really good job of defending the three-point line. Yeah, yeah, and and that's one of the things you'll hear uh, in my conversation with Rodney Terry. We'll have that coming up. You'll hear a little bit with uh, Sir Jabari Rice. Jabari had a big game, obviously hit those four threes. You heard in the highlight montage that Cam put together that um, uh, those four threes in the second. And when he got to the fourth one, that's why I said, why not? Indeed, why not? You know, uh, you keep getting into the hot hand off of that. And so for the folks who say, yeah, Marcus Carr only scored five points. You know, that is, first of all, the, the last shot he made was gigantic, obviously, carrying it to a three-point game from 72-71 to 74-71. That was big. But th- this team does a good job of – if one guy isn't on, find the guy who is. Find the guy who's making the shots, and then feed him. Let it. Let him do it, and let him work. Yeah. Uh, there, there's that's. It, it is an egoless basketball team. It's like who, who's 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 got it tonight. Let's get him the ball. You know. Hopefully, you have multiple guys doing it. But right. if there's one guy in specific, get him the ball. That's been the that's the most impressive thing. I, I asked RT about this in the post game. You know the growth. Marcus Carr has shown this year. Mm-hmm. Marcus Carr last year, and he, maybe even him er, at earlier parts this season. In that game, he's probably 
playing iso ball mm-hmm. and forcing force shots. But he he did a great job of number one. Tyrese Hunter had the ball in his hands, bringing it up the floor most of the second half. Mm-hmm. And and shout out to Tyrese, no cramps last night. Got so yeah, so that was that was really good to see. Refreshing to see him play 32, 32 minutes of cramp free basketball. There you go. Uh, but Marcus and I think this has just kind of been the, his role in the offense. It's like, and I talked about this yesterday. It seems like the more he's played without the ball in his hands, the more he's understood about the way the offense needs to flow, moving without the ball and the importance of it. He never let the ball get stuck. And like you said, Craig, just kind of let everybody else, you know, hey, Jabari Rice has a hot hand, or it's Timmy Allen for stretches. Uh, Tyrese had 13 points. Uh, but RT said when it got to about that last four-minute game, he said he pulled Marcus aside and said, hey, it, it's winning time. It's your time now. We need you to step up. And in that last minute, you got that just that beautiful step back jumper that everybody everybody on this team has their move right. Uh, Jabari sure. Rice, Jabari's got the pump fake. Timmy Allen can that. Oh man, that spin baseline and that follow away jumper from the baseline is pretty. Uh, and then Marcus just that step back shot he's able to make and then hit that big one last night. I said this about Timmy last night, Craig. I've said this about him all year. He scored eighteen points, six boards, four assists, uh, and had a block shot, like. Cameron, I don't know if you can speak to this. I don't know if you follow basketball analytics at all. Like the analytics must hate Timmy Allen. Like a guy that doesn't shoot threes. It's all like mid range jumpers. Uh the analytics must hate Timmy Allen. Mm-hmm. But man, if he's on your team, it's damn effective to go seven for ten from the field, not attempt a three point shot, four for five from the foul line, give like I said, gives you eighteen points. The analytics sites must hate him, but if you're a Texas fan, you love what Timmy Allen did last night, yeah, and and what he does most nights, yeah, yeah, works it, it works so hard on it as well. Uh, you big analytics guy, Cameron, or or no? Yeah, I am. I agree with your point there. Probably Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen aren't two of the most great guys for analytics, but when the, when the game comes down to the line, they come up big every single game. Marcus Carr didn't have a huge impact in that second half offensively, and then when Texas needed a bucket, went to him. Same thing with Timmy Allen, right? They called uh, an ISO form, went to the hoop, drew a foul. Yeah. They, you know, um, I'm with Jeff on this. People know me being a, a numbers guy, and I like him as well. And Jeff and Rod come up with some just – and Matt Butler come up with some just spellbinding numbers, mind-boggling uh, numbers uh, on the Blitz podcast and then and then on uh, the this show and then on, on – uh, um, Ball don't lie, uh, Rod and Harge do the same thing. They've got all these great numbers, and I agree with all of them, and I love all of them. The one thing that the analytics can't, there's no metric for it, you can't, that the, the analytics can't measure, and the one thing that the analytics, whether it's pro football focus or whatever it is, the analytics cannot measure clutch, and that's a clutch gene that both of those guys have and it, and that's you can't you can look at it and say how many shots did so and so hit in the last 2 minutes of a ball game or whatever but even that doesn't totally measure because you don't know you know when the shot clock's running down or did you get double teamed I mean, there's a great it, it one of the one of the highlights was Tyrese Hunter hitting a 3 but it wasn't just Tyrese hitting the 3 Timmy Allen's trapped in the corner and it looks like I said he's in jail. And he finds a way to whip the pass back out front to Hunter as the shot clock's winding down with a trap, a double team on him in the corner, gets it to Hunter, who nails the three. That's something that analytics cannot measure. Only the shot made and, and that sort of thing. So anyway, that's uh, that, that, that's what I think is really I'll tell cool. you one thing analytics can measure, though. Yeah. And I think this goes back to RT challenging this team's toughness yeah. after the Tennessee game. They were on the attack early. I mean, getting to the basket, guys were getting downhill. Not just the guards. I mean, we saw the forwards take it to the basket. We saw yep. uh, you know, Dylan DeSue. Dylan DeSue's done a really good job of kind of showing attack and then pulling up. That foul line jumper has become really good. Absolutely. Really good for Dylan. But these numbers, Craig, uh, if you look at the uh, the advanced box score, uh, which I'm glad Stat Broadcast keeps track of this mm-hmm. now so I don't have to. Yeah. Uh, Fouls drawn. It looks yeah. the fouls drawn is the estimates the number of fouls drawn by that particular player. Timmy Allen six point eight. Dylan DeSue four point two. Dylan Mitchell four point two. Jabari Rice eight point four. Yeah. Christian Bishop four point one. That's guys being aggressive, being assertive, and attacking the basket. And in, in, in a game last night where you know 
man, if I go to the rack, there's a really good chance I'm going to draw some contact and some pretty hard contact. And then and then you have to finish on the foul line, which, by the way, they had a spell in the second half, and I mentioned this on the broadcast. They were leaving points at the free throw line. There were some one out of twos there, and uh, but down the stretch, they hit them. And uh, Cam says he's got this highlight. This is the, the moment I was talking about where Timmy Allen – it's almost like eyes in the back of his head when he draws the trap in the corner and finds Tyrese Hunter. Carr with it. 7.05 to go. 13 on the shot clock. A trapped Timmy Allen. Got to do something with it. Got rid of it out to Hunter. Top of the arc for three. Good! Tyrese knocked it out. It looked like Allen was in jail. Got rid of it. The three-pointer puts Texas up eight. 62-54. And this came in a, at a point in the game where Baylor kept pushing. Make it a run. They get it down to three. Get it to five. Get it to four. Get it to three. Uh, and and then eventually to two and then down to one. But in that three to five point range, he kept cutting. And then somebody, whether it was Rice with his four threes in the second half or uh, <clears throat> or Timmy Allen hitting a baseline jumper or Hunter hitting the three, they push it back to five, push it back to seven, mm-hmm. push it back to eight. And so that was that was the answer. That they had to have, and they had to come up uh, with some answers on that. And from the from the Baylor standpoint, I, I asked Scott Drew about it, uh, you know, because he talked about just you know, they felt like they just dug themselves in too big of a hole. I felt like that eight zero run that Texas had. Yep. I think was that the first four minute within that first four minutes of the second half. After Baylor tied it with the first bucket of the second half, it tied the score at forty, yeah. and then the Longhorns answer with the run. Yeah, uh, actually, Thamba makes makes one of two foul shots. Yeah, that tie or yeah, that ties it at uh, at thirty eight. Right, and then Texas goes on that eight zero run, and I asked Scott Drew because at that point it felt like Baylor was up against it the rest of the second half, mm-hmm. and he said no. He said he said that wasn't the key for him. He said as poorly as they played because they had a stretch in the first half, Craig. I think they missed six shots in a row. Yeah, at one point they started out shooting three for eleven from the field. He just felt like the their inability to make shots early on, he felt like that's what put them in a hole. And he he gave Texas credit. He said especially on their two-point field goals, he said it was either they Texas did a really good job contesting shots or when they were able to pass it out of a trap to one of their bigs or their guards cutting to the basket, they just they just missed some mm-hmm. some easy shots. But he Baylor, you know, Scott and his players, LJ Cryer was who we got post game. They gave Texas credit for the way they defended especially on their two-point field goals. Eddie Orn made the point to your point about missing the two-point field goals. The Texas did just enough to speed them up just a little mm-hmm. bit to where the touch might have been off to do that, Yeah, uh, where they sped them up and made them uncomfortable. And and I think this point, it's a very salient one and a kind of a sobering one made by Fran Fraschilla. And, of course, Fran is working the telecast for ESPN, and he's sitting closer to me than I'm sitting to you right now. I mean, yeah. we are, as the Canadians would say, are side by each. I mean, we are right, right. I was going to say, almost, it looked like, like y'all were pretty cozy last It's night. almost rubbing shoulders against one another. And and I've known uh, Fran's wife, Meg, longer than I've known Fran. I knew her in the 80s when she was working in the Southwest Conference Media Relations Office. And Meg said, "Say, uh, th- th- Fran told me this last night, that Meg, when he was getting ready to leave <clears throat> their home, said, say hi to Craig for me. She said, "Did you, uh, you, you do see him, right? He goes, see him? <laughs> and reach out and she and said scratch his back or something like that. And Boog Shambi, John Shambi's working. He said, "Well, don't do that." If uh, he's uh, telling that, but what Fran said to me after the game, and again, this is, I think this is straight on. Texas played so well, so well, to take Baylor out of a comfort zone, to push the issue on Baylor, to speed them up a little bit, did all of these things, at times, he said, made Baylor just play badly and play poor. And Baylor still had a real shot to win the game. He said that should tell you a couple of things. One, how really good Baylor is. Two, how good Texas is. And three, how tough this league is. Yeah. In no particular order because it's true. And I had on my iPad – because we've talked about this before. I'll have other games on iPad or laptop or whatever. There's not enough real room at the desk where we sit to pull up two screens. So I just just had the one iPad. And there was only one other Big 12 game last night. Well, I had my iPad tuned to that. So Iowa State gets up 23 early second half on Texas Tech. I'm not even paying attention to it. I'm I'm calling this this dynamite game. And all of a sudden, I look down during a timeout in the Texas game, and all of a sudden, the lead is like down to 11. And I said... 
Look at Texas Tech. Look at that. They cut it to 11. Yeah. And so It's almost like if you've ever seen The Princess Bride, it was almost like Christopher Guest, the guy with the uh, six fingers or whatever, when he goes, my heavens, are you still trying to win <laughs> at, at one point? Uh, to Inigo Montoya when he says, you killed my father. My name is, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he keeps saying it over and over. He keeps saying, are you still trying to win? So it was at 11. To go back and go, next thing I look, and it's down to six. Then I look, and it's down to three. And then, and then of course, the Texas game, as long as it went, still ended before regulation ended in the Tech-Iowa State game. And then it winds up going overtime, and Tech winds up winning 80-77. Uh, Kevin uh, Kevin O'Banner had a big game last night for Tech and helping lead them back. Mm-hmm. So, Iowa State falls for the moment out of the first place tie. Tonight, in Lawrence, at Allen Fieldhouse, you have the rematch. Kansas and K-State, they just played a couple of weeks ago in the Octagon of Doom, and K-State won that game. If Kansas wins tonight, the Big 12 Conference race is exactly at the numerical halfway point, and Texas is sitting atop by itself, alone in first place at 7-2 and two in the league standings. Yep. Uh, why don't we hit the break now? We'll yep. get to some audio uh, in the notebook. And, and I've got a couple other things to, to digest or help the listening audience digest from uh, from this one. Yep. Uh, we're doing that. We have our uh, Longhorn Notebook coming up. We do have Inconceivable uh, coming up as well. And um, we'll, uh, we'll hear uh, from Rodney Terry. We'll hear from Serge Jabari Rice. Uh, more on this game uh, around the corner. Hey, the word is the Big 12 football schedule will be released this afternoon. So uh, we'll get to all that and more as we continue with an icy, slick roads, closed school, watch yourself edition of Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Boy, that Isaiah promo, there's no in-between. Either you love it or you're not a fan. I'm a fan. We're split here on Light the Tower, I think. I don't know where Craig really stands on it. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker, Craig Way, Light the Tower on a very cold, icy Tuesday. Everybody be careful out there. If you don't have to be out, let me repeat that like everybody else is. If you don't have to be out, don't. Just stay at home. It's a good day to... Sit at home and not do anything. Just hang out with the family. But if you have to be out and about, please, by all means, be careful. Uh, it is the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, which means it's time for today's first edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. It is a Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown. The home loan process was super easy for them. Bowersockteam.com is where you need to go to let Aaron Bowersock handle all your home loan needs. That is Aaron Bowersock. She's your home loan expert. Bowersockteam.com. All right, still talking about that 76-71 win for Texas last night over Baylor. Here right now, we uh, told you we had this audio. We'll go ahead and run that right now. It is Craig and Eddie's postgame conversation with Texas interim head coach Rodney Terry. What a ball game. We were saying you expect that from the number 10 and 11 teams in the country, just punch and counter punch. And I know you have to be proud of how your guys answered every time Baylor made a real run and a real push at you. Really proud of the guys tonight, uh, Craig. We came in, uh, came back off a of one-day prep, and I really challenged the guys, um, you know, as we finish up 
January here. January is the grind. Now, guys have really embraced the grind all month, but we needed to finish this off, and we needed to continue to try to improve defensively. You know, as you go into February, we start talking about separation month, and teams start separating themselves. The teams that really get good separation are the teams that improve in the areas where they have to continue to, to, to get better and want to be elite. And for us, I challenge our guys to start that yesterday. And they came in and had a great prep day yesterday talking about nothing but defense. We're going to win this game with our defense. We'll score enough points and figure out how we need to score. But we're going to win this game with defense against a really good offensive team coming in here. Well, to your point, Baylor had hit five of its first six three-point shots, and they wound up only hitting three of their last 20 three-pointers. What changed? What was the difference in how you guarded them so well on the perimeter? Well, we watched the threes that we gave up in the first half on video again, and uh, um, you know, we gave too much separation. About two or three of those threes were on us a little bit, not taking anything away from those guys because they're great, really good shooters if they're open. But but uh, we just needed to clean clean up some things and not give these guys much separation. I thought there were a lot of really good contested threes, and and I thought our guys when they, they their guards do a great job of trying to size you up and shoot the ball right in your face. I thought our guys did a really good job of not backing up, and we emphasized that yesterday. Climb into those guys and make them take tough threes without fouling. And I thought we did a really good job of that. They made two threes in the second half, and we turned the ball over twice in the second half. So we cut our turnovers back. We had seven turnovers at the half, and uh, we played Texas basketball. Uh, how about your Swiss Army knife, Jabari Rice? Uh, he just, he, is it a field thing? I and mean, when he's going like that and knocks down those four threes and we know he's going to be tough on the foul line, it's it's pretty impressive to watch him deliver whatever it is you're needing him to deliver. Well, we came into this year, you know, with, with the intent that he needed to be a shooter for us this year. Um, you know, alone came the shot fake, and we love the shot fake, but we also love his shooting ability and shot making ability as well. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he's been working really hard on his shooting, and he's had some really, really good practices over the last week and a half, and I think it's carried over into the games. Friday, something I think is so important is how you started the second half. The first time out, they were one for seven. I thought you set the pace up to tempo of this game, forcing them one for seven from field the first five minutes second half. Everything was all defense for this game. I mean, we, we, we knew coming into this game we were, we were going to have to win this game with our defense sitting down, you know, and uh, – uh, it's really hard to hold a really good offensive team. Baylor's a really good offensive team, well-coached team. And, uh, you know, we our goal was to try to hold these guys to 65 or less. I mean, they got 71, but we, we really guarded hard tonight. We, we we couldn't give up nine threes. To get, you know, they make nine threes, they win the game. You know, they had eight tonight. We tried to tried to see if we could have at least, I think it was six or seven or less. It's what we tried to shoot for. Roddy, what about a, a chance for the guys to catch a breath a little bit since you don't play again until Saturday, but then you got a tough <clears throat> two-game road swing. What's it going to be like uh, for the team and how you approach the next few days? Well, they earn a day off uh, tomorrow. I know we don't have school, and, you know, they can't have a chance to kind of hit the reset button and recharge a little bit. Uh, we had a long trip over to Knoxville, came back here yesterday and got back on the floor again with a quick turnaround for tonight's game. Uh, they need to recharge a little bit right now. We'll do that tomorrow with recovery and not do anything basketball-wise, and, and then we'll come back the next couple of days and really get going again and try to get, get ready for another really tough Big 12 game on the road. Are you going to recharge too? I'm going to try to recharge too a little bit. <laughs> Coaches get tired too. <laughs> yeah, I bet they do. Um, so there it is, our uh, post-game conversation with uh, Rodney Terry. Yeah, uh, I was on the elevator going, leaving the arena last night with RT. Uh, his wife, Seth Davis, and his family were also on that ride. And, and you could tell RT just he, he needed a, he needed to breathe a little bit. He was, he was going to sleep a little, a little bit more easy. Yeah, last night. Yeah, it, it was you know obviously a, a big win for everybody, uh, uh, Rodney Terry included. So it was yeah, I, uh, I, and he did. Uh, he I thought he did a really good job in in talking about how his guys, like you said, Jeff, made the adjustments to guard the perimeter better. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I like how he said, you know, we went in halftime and looked at the threes they made. You know, they – I know this staff has talked about what a great video crew they're They're they amazing. Have, Watching man, them on the plane work, it's amazing. It, yeah, it's – that hats off to your video team to be able to – and I, look, Cameron, you might have a better frame of reference on, on this stuff than I do, but to be able to film a game and get cut-ups done that fast mm -hmm. of exactly what the head coach wants to see, yeah. uh, that's – that's remarkable stuff. That's big time stuff. Yeah, yeah. They and and Rodney's mentioned this on Longhorn Weekly, and I had him 
talk about a little bit last Thursday, uh, his GAs, the grad assistants and video guys, Brock Baranato, the guy we know as Fireball for them, and the rest of the, of the GAs uh, and and the assistants, and they're all diving into it, and they've, they've got the laptops pulled up. And, and I know Texas isn't the only team that does this in the country. They're you know, really good teams. They have really good video staffs and GAs and all that, so they're not you know alone on an island or that sort of thing. Uh, but you see it with your own eyes. You can't help but be impressed. And as Rodney mentioned, those guys – have by the time the plane lands from a from a flight of some length, whether it be Ames or, or Morgantown, by the time the plane lands, they have the game that they've just done completely cut up and broken down into the segments of offense and defense and special situations and out of bounds and all those things. And they have the same thing done for the opponent coming off their game. And they have it all ready to go by the time they walk off the plane. So it's crazy. Yeah. So I, it, it's impressive what they do, and uh, and and to hear him do that, and and I'm and and I'm here to say that I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Jeff brought the segment back in there. because we need to get you a life alert. <laughs> you know, you, you drive down here, and it's and, and there's some risk. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, you, you slip and you slide your way through there. I pull into the parking lot, and I'm, you know, happy about it. I'm like, okay, all right, again, go, go right on in, do, 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 get out, and whoop, legs go right out from under me when I'm walking in. It's kind of like you see in the, you know, the sitcom, the boom, and I hit. No big deal because uh, I landed on my most upholstered area of my body. So it wasn't that big a deal if coming you, in. If you land, you hope you land on the rump roast. And that's exactly yeah. what I did. During the break, I said, I got to go run out to the truck because my laptop in my, I'd actually loaded the backpack in the car while I was defrosting and everything. So I just stuck the laptop in my roller bag. I, like, I got to get that out of there. And as I found out one day last week, got to make sure the computer is with you yes. when you leave the house. So I go down there to get it, go down the steps, going, and, and, I, and it's in my mind about being more careful about it. But nevertheless, whoop, legs go out again, hit the ground a little bit harder. I felt it, but still kind of laughing about it. And and I'm like, okay, all right. Then get up, get the get the laptop out of the roller bag, leave, turn, get on the thing. Whoop! It happened again. And and this time it kind of hurt because I I landed on my rear, but I also hit my elbow. But it didn't it didn't do any damage. But it's just like walk much, you know, <laughs> in 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 icy condition. Come on, man, get your act together. So it, three times. So the, the, be careful. It reminds me that there's this skit on Saturday Night Live that my, that my older brother and I used to talk about. It was from 1990 with Tom Hanks. And uh, it, it was the, the same episode where he becomes a member of the Five Timers Club, that deal. And uh, they recently re-aired it uh, on NBC, and I had a DVR set, and I rolled it, and it had this one skit where Tom Hanks is is in there uh, with, um, I think, uh, Jan Hooks and a, and a couple others in there, and they like all, he tastes this milk that's real sour, and the whole family has to taste it. Oh, like, let me see. Oh, that's just awful. That's rancid. Here, let me try it. And then they all have to sit on the nail, and they all have to fall down the stairs. It's like, <laughs> you know, one guy does it, and then the rest of the family, that's what it was like. It was like, how many times could I fall on my butt going out to the truck and back? Three right now. And counting, because the show and the day is still young. <laughs> when you talk about SNL commercials and stuff, I didn't know if you were going to make a colon blow reference. Love that. If you, if Love you got, I don't know if you got into that kind of dicey How many, how many bowls now, Phil Hartman? You know? One million. <laughs> um, so you're good? I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if that that's I was telling you during the break, that's a really nice Bally's jacket, that North Face Bally's jacket you got. It's one of the few actual things that you know, Bally's material wise doing all those state championships. Say, hey, we got a jacket for her. Oh, okay. <laughs> um and when you're getting ready to go to Morgantown, now again, I've not heard that there's been any alteration to the plan. Okay. But the Texas women are still planning to leave today to fly to Morgantown, where it's not icy, but there is snow falling. Uh, in uh, Morgantown, yeah, temperature about the same, snow falling up there, but uh, they're due to fly up there, and uh, they start Big Twelve Conference play the second half of it 
tomorrow night at the WVU Coliseum against West Virginia. So here's uh, here's what we'll do right now. I know everybody wants to talk about Big 12 schedule release and what could be coming at 1 o'clock today. Yeah. Well, that will be the second notebook because I want to devote an entire notebook to the Big 12 schedule release. What, I can hardly wait. What we know, what we think is going to happen, what we've heard might happen, predictions. We'll get into all that with the schedule release. But one thing I want to hit on before we get out of this segment. Incidentally, this is the most – uh, uh, anticipated I- excitement discussed from the fan base schedule release. This this borders on NFL schedule release conversation like we always have yeah. when it comes out for every pay because of the newbies coming in and what's expected to be the final year for Texas and Oklahoma to be competing in the Big 12. Well, let's talk about the Moody Center really quick okay. because yes, it was loud in the building last night. And yes, was. the corral has made a massive difference. Our uh, fearless leader, uh, Jason Nasur, texted me at one point. He goes, it's my first game in here. He goes, it's bleeping loud. <laughs> okay. And I'm not taking away anything from crowd participation. It was great last night. It was. The sound system at Moody last night, it was absurdly loud, was it not? It's a little obtrusive, isn't it? Yeah. With the, with the like, noise. It was cranked up more than it has been probably since the opener. Like For the opener, it was one of those deals where yeah. it was really loud and I know they talk about, okay, we're just still working out the kinks, figuring out the right levels. But last night, that SOB was cranked up about as high as it could go. I, I'm wondering, yeah, it got to the point where uh, Patrick Davis, our engineer, when we're coming out of a break and Eddie Orrin's microphone is on and my microphone is on and I'm coming up and I usually am, am reading a drop-in announcement thing and mm-hmm. then moving on, Patrick was having to mute Eddie's microphone just so it was only my mic was open because of the the volume level just to be able to uh, get the announcement out. Man. Yeah, it was, it, it was extremely loud, and, it, and it's made me wonder, I think I know, the, the way this deal works is that it's turned over to that game day crew, the, the crew that handles the volume on those kinds of things and the DJ and all that other stuff. Um, and, and clearly, they, I don't think, have been – instructed to change anything have not been told anything by ut athletics you know might want to dial it back just a notch or two because it's 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 uncomfortable loud there's loud and you want the great environment so you know like the utep game it was uncomfortably loud but that was understandable it's the first game of the year yep. you're figuring everything yep. out and then it's it's been fine it's been mm-hmm. tolerable last night man especially sitting where we sit on press row where you're right there next to it it was I left with a headache last night. And again, I'm And not, I know, and we're telling people to get off our lawns, too. Yeah, you know, by it's saying a little bit of that, that, but yeah. the crowd participation was was great. It was awesome. Yeah. And Scott Drew said after the game, he said, hey, man, it's a tough place to play. They did a great job putting this thing together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's loud, and yeah, te- Texas, Texas men's basketball has a legitimate home court advantage mm-hmm. for the first time in my lifetime, where you can say, hey... You go down to play in Austin, it, it's going to be tough. Probably for the first time since like the early seventies at Gregory Gym. Yeah, when they when they had a lot of when Leon Black was coaching and they were making NCAA tournament runs. Probably then. That, even even Rick's really good teams. Yeah, like I remember the Kevin Durant year, like being able to walk up and get like five dollar mezzanine tickets yeah. just at, at right before tip. And you know? and uh, you know there were selected home games yeah. where you would have the real lot of it. Kansas, OU, A&M. Mm-hmm. And if there was a big non-conference home, Villanova or Wake Forest maybe. UConn. UConn. That, that was pretty much it. The rest of the time, it wasn't. It just wasn't the same. Like I told you, the best, the best environments I've been in, in inside the Irwin Center for were high school basketball games, some of those state tournament games, especially when you got like, uh, what year was it that Marcus Smart and Flower Mound Marcus were playing – yeah, uh, 2013 or so. The Harrison Twins, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some to of speak those games on the, were epic. The crowd level for Monday or Tuesday's night game, women's game against Oklahoma State, J.C. Hoyt, the Cowgirls head coach, took mm-hmm. her team off the floor to go back inside the tunnel to talk to her team because the music was too loud. Man, that's wild. But it's it's uh, no, it's no, great that Texas has a home court advantage. I did not know that, Cam. That's, that's wild. <laughs> that's something else, isn't it? It's going to be like, you remember uh, those Bulls-Jazz final series yes. where like, inside the Delta Center where Phil Jackson had to wear earplugs? Yep. Everybody on the bench had to wear earplugs because yeah. it was just insanely loud. I, I think that's, like, that's what Moody Center's becoming. Quickly. At certain points, I want to pull a John Elway and turn around and just, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. Come on, guys. Jalen Hurts did that a couple of times. Philadelphia, yeah. and then we're getting down near the goal line against the 49ers. He was like, hey, let's quiet down a little bit. Simmer down now. You know, just doing a little bit of that. Uh, we got we got time to hear this Jabari Rice audio, do we? Yeah, not? yeah, we do. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, Jabari, of course, wound up being the leading scorer, twenty one point six rebounds, four big threes. The last three were huge clutch threes, as well, and uh, that was part of the conversation that I had with Jabari. I've asked you about this before, having that before certain feel of it. You knocked down four threes in the second half. Is that a feel thing and rhythm? I know the guys were wanting to get you the ball a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's all my teammates, honestly. Um, I give them all the credit. They just found me when I was open and I was able to knock down the shots from the time that I put in every day. How important was it for what you guys did defensively based on what Baylor is capable of doing offensively? Oh, yeah. It was a big uh, emphasis on guarding one-on-one defense and being able to play team defense and playing better defense than we did against Tennessee. We felt like um, Tennessee imposed their will on us. And so uh, tonight we wanted to impose our will on the defensive end, and it worked out on both ends. Does it require a lot of discipline to make sure you can be physical, impose your will, and yet not get into foul trouble? Yes, I got four fouls tonight, so I was a little bit in foul trouble. But honestly, it just kind of comes with the game, and as long as it's smart fouls and, and you're playing with your hair on fire, it's okay. Feel good to be in first place in the Midway Marker Conference play? Uh, yeah, it's all right. I don't really feel it because we don't have a trophy in our hand. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have a trophy in our hands yet. It's only halfway through, and that's a good perspective to have about it. It's good to be where they are. You'd rather be in first than any other spot in the standings. But, again, it's only the halfway point, as we mentioned. It's going to be a grind all the way through. And, and really and truly, to be honest, Longers are hitting the tougher stretch of the schedule will be the For second sure, half. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, by having to go to K-State and Kansas back-to-back. Come play home. Kansas twice. Yeah, yeah. Got the rematch with Baylor. Got a rematch with TCU in Fort Worth. Got yeah. a rematch with Baylor on the road. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and K-State on the road. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be difficult. I, I look at it, Craig, like last night was huge. The way I look at the, you know, your wins and losses in conference, you're talking about splits and sweeps, right? The yeah. opponents that you can sweep, especially like, you know, Oklahoma. We saw it with Oklahoma State. Man, can you can you get that win on your home floor mm-hmm. to finish off a, ser- a series sweep of somebody? Oklahoma and West Virginia. Yeah. If you um, get those, you've already done it with Oklahoma you State. You know, with TCU, Baylor, you're at least going to split those games. Like, mm-hmm. if you can get a split by beating K-State on Saturday, that's going to mm-hmm. be massive mm-hmm. coming down the stretch. Yep. If, if, if you can split the Kansas, K-State, Baylor, and uh, TCU series, that, that's big. Uh, that does mean four more losses. Iowa State, too. And 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 then if you're you're beating Iowa State at home, and then can you sweep Tech on the road? Yeah. Can you get the sweeps over Oklahoma uh, and West Virginia? If you do that, you finish twelve and six in the league. Twelve and six. Twelve and six might win the league. Close. I think it might be second or uh, right around there, or maybe a tie for it. So you think I, you think thirteen is the magic number? Probably. It, probably. Four, 14 and four will definitely do it for sure. I think. Yeah. If they go seven and two in the second half, they're going to win the league. Yeah. Uh, thirteen and five might, uh, but it, it's right in that area. I think anyway, with the way this league is, we'll we'll you know we'll see how it is, um, you know, with that. Um, let's see. Somebody said, "Oh, games against Texas Tech with Penders off the charts." Arkansas, yeah, there was something about that. Uh, somebody said, "We attend every women's home game at Moody. The complaints are consistent about the ridiculous volume of the music. Very unprofessional. No, actually, it's quite professional because it's like <laughs> that's what pro sports teams do. Uh, that the, the, it's what what you're experiencing if you go in an NBA arena. It's very much the same. It is. Yeah. And it says, can't CDC do something about this? I don't think I don't that, he, that he wants can, to. I don't think he cares to do anything about it because the students love it." Mm-hmm. And they're all happening about it. So. Like I said, the, the arena volume, I'm just going to bring earplugs from now on. Yeah. You know, because I can't have a conversation with the person sitting next to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, and plus, you know, I know I'm making my voice known about it, but let's be honest, man, that's not that's not about me, you know? Yeah. And, 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 the, and the older folks, it's not about what anybody else wants. Like you said, Craig, the students love it. The players love it. It's a problem for the opponents. So. Yeah. There's no reason for CDC to change it. Yeah. Uh, Stoner said, just glad the clocks worked sufficiently. I found out that because of what happened with the women's game Saturday night and the snafus with the the shot clocks and things like that, that the people from Doctronics, who handled a lot of Mm -hmm. that stuff, were there until the wee hours of Sunday morning working it, and that they had what was described to me as an army 
of Doctronics people in the arena last night in case there was an issue. On scramble, by. scramble, like a SWAT team to get those clocks up and running. But fortunately, there were no issues. It all worked out well. Uh, speaking of issues, we have Inconceivable. That's coming up next when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, some folks might look at it outside. It's inconceivable that I could have fallen my butt three times walking to and from my truck. Thrice, thrice times. Thrice. On the rump. My producer, Cam Parker, to the rescue again, giving me a couple of ibuprofen for the sore right elbow. Nothing structurally wrong. It's all right. So Just sore. A, you can be like Brock Purdy and need a recovery from a UCL I don't think so. Injury. I think I could throw more than a screen pass. It now it would be way <laughs> off target, but I could probably do it if I had to do it. Um... Here's a couple of things that are kind of troubling. Say you can call the UT baseball office; they can put you to put you up, uh, getting you hooked up with somebody that knows something about a good Tommy Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Um, I stumbled through that. We've had another issue with the Dallas Zoo. Another one. Another one. Was now, it the leopard got out last time? The leopard got out, and then remember they uh, a, someone killed a vulture. They had that. I don't Someone's been that. getting into the zoo. And, like, cutting open, like, the enclosures, like, from the back and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's how the leopard got out. They got that back. Somebody got in and, for whatever reason, decided to kill a vulture, which is just that's wrong and sad. Terrible. Um, we've had this discussion before, Jeff. And we haven't asked Cam uh, his, uh, and we'll, we'll do this, but the animal that unnerves you the most... The snake? The snake. Yeah. Yeah. So if a snake got out of an enclosure in a zoo, you would not be comfortable By the with way, if you were there. The Grand Prairie Cobra is still at large. So when everybody in the Metroplex, you might be listening, if you got family in the Metroplex, be aware the Grand, Grand Prairie Cobra, to my knowledge, has not been found. Might not be surviving this presumed, ice storm. Instead. Presumed dead, but yeah. I'm not going to presume anything yeah. about a cobra in the wild. Uh, Cam, is, is there one particular animal or member of the animal kingdom that gives you the woolies more than any other specific one, mainly because of the prospect of you ever had to encounter it? You know, is there is there one specific one that, that comes into mind for you? If, 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 if you had your choice of any member of the animal kingdom that just kind of gives you the woolies and bothers you a little bit, which one would that be? Gorilla, 100%. Gorilla? Gorilla. Okay. Cam's with you on the primates. Primates, which is leading me to the Dallas Zoo. Two of the zoo's emperor tamarind monkeys have been stolen after they were discovered missing. Stolen? Stolen. After they were missing from their enclosure yesterday and their habitat had been intentionally compromised. Emperor tamarind monkeys would likely stay close to home. The zoo searched near their habitat and across zoo grounds, but did not locate them. So they think somebody out and out, as Eddie Murphy would say, somebody went and done stole them. You know, they stole them. Dallas Police Department said in its preliminary investigation found the habitat had been intentionally cut open and it's believed the animals were intentionally taken from the enclosure. The zoo, of course, is closed anyway due to the inclement air. That's what it looks like. That's what it Jeff, an, uh, an emperor, tamarind yeah, I'm, monkey. Yeah, if you if you kind of look at it at first glance with the the mustache, yeah. with the whiskers there, does yeah. it kind of look like a schnauzer a little bit? A little bit. Yeah. It does have almost a I own a schnauzer. It does I have know. kind of a little bit of a schnauzer face. Okay, so first it was on the 13th of the month when the clouded leopard uh, named Nova disappeared. Uh, the fence had been intentionally cut, but they found her close to her habitat later in the day. A similar cut had been in the enclosure of some Langer monkeys, but none of those monkeys left their habitat. Then they found a vulture named Penn found dead in its habitat, had an unusual wound and injuries, and now they've got these uh, monkeys missing. What in the world? What is going on? Get some security out there. Y'all ever like going to the zoo, just like staring, standing by the monkey cage for a little bit and just watch them fling poo at each other? Yeah. Yeah, that does happen. It does happen. It's pretty funny. Uh, meanwhile, they don't have this problem at the Dallas Zoo, but they have another problem in New York. A huge humpback whale is washed ashore. Oh, no. Yeah. It's terrible. Ha- happened 
yesterday. Big old whale. Uh, Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Washed That's ashore. huge whale. Uh, Alito Beach yesterday. Like Alito, Texas? Uh, no, not Alito. Just Lido. Oh, like, okay. Like Boscag's Lido Shuffle. I L-I-D-O. Okay. Lido. Where there's dancing on the Lido deck if you're on a cruise ship or something. But uh, huge humpback whale washed ashore. Um, they removed the carcass higher in the shoreline to avoid the next high tide, conducting an autopsy uh, to determine cause of death. It's the 18th large whale to strand on the East Coast going all the way back through last year. That, that sounds like an absurdly large number. It does, doesn't it? So, yeah, that was that was kind of unnerving. Y'all remember that Family Guy episode where Peter tried to get the whale back in the water with a forklift yeah. and he just ended up stabbing the whale. Yeah, yeah. That was not good. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, here's something for your uh, cauldron. Oh, somebody needed to be boiled in oil and have their fat sold for soap? I had to educate Cam last week on, on you know, what we need to do when it's time to get the cauldron ready. Tell me if this doesn't fit the category. A California father has been charged with three counts of attempted murder after he allegedly drove a car off an oceanside cliff with his wife and two children in the car. Okay, that's that's got to be like a red flag record for a lead in a yeah. crime story. Okay. Uh, prosecutors have accused Darmesh Patel of intentionally steering his Tesla off a portion of the PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. If you've ever driven down, you know, it gets, you know, there along the cliffs and stuff. He drove it off an area called Devil's Slide, sending the family plunging about 250 feet to a rocky beach below. All four family members survived the crash. Dang. All of them. Two of the three counts against Patel come with domestic violence and great bodily injury enhancements. Uh, His wife is still hospitalized after suffering major injuries, and the couple's 70-year-old child was also injured. Miraculously, the 40-year-old came out with just some bruises. And that does not qualify for significant bodily injury, they said, explaining why the enhancements were left off the third charge. Though the victims were not named in the charging documents, the California Highway Patrol previously said the passengers were the driver's wife and two children. Look at this car. You know, how does anybody survive that? And and look, listen, I was one of five kids, and we would drive to the beach in the summertime. And if my brother started fighting or picking on me or if there was this, something going on, occasionally my dad would give it the, the, the standard stock line of the 60s and 70s. If I have to pull over, if I have to pull this car, my dad actually mastered the art of being able to drive with the left hand and reach with the right and be able to place some, a hand on one of my brothers to break Did up you, a uh, fight. You, I'm sure you had to do that a time or two when your kids were younger. I was like, don't make me have to pull this car over. Quit pulling your sister's hair. Okay, so this kind of takes it to the extreme, pulling you know, the car over. If I have to pull this car off a cliff. We're going to do something special for this gentleman. We're going to skip the cauldron. Okay. We're going to make him be a human crash test dummy. That's going to okay. be his... Uh, there you go. It's going to be his punishment. Okay. Our final story here. Uh, goes back to the place you know where I like to go to find some unusual stories. We're going down under? Yes, we are. And this is uh, quite an interesting story. We go now story to for... our inconceivable Australian Bureau Chief Craig Way for this update. Well, they say it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, you know. It's a six millimeter silver capsule that was lost somewhere along a vast stretch of desert highway in Queensland in Australia. So what's the big deal? You say somebody lost a little capsule. Yeah, kind of a big deal. It's got KCM-137. It's a highly radioactive substance used in mining equipment. So they said they they checked all roads in and out of the Gudaridari mine site in remote northern western Australia where the device was located before a contractor collected it for the journey south to the state capital, Perth. They believe the capsule fell off the back of a truck. How'd you like to be the schmuck who was responsible for losing that? Wow. Well, what happened was, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there is. there are fears that it may have already been carried farther from the search zone. Somebody may have found creating a radioactive health risk for anyone who comes across it for potentially the next 300 years. 300 years. It's got a shelf life. So... Sounds lovely. It's out in the middle of Australia. 
fat ankum. Be able to find it, mate, because it's kind of dangerous out there with a radioactive capsule. Let's get Crocodile Dundee on the case. Yeah. That's not a knife. He'd be able to find it. Now, that's a knife. All right. That hour number two. Light the tower. Caminette right here. On the horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital. On the horn app and at hornfm.com.